Gothamites everywhere. And welcome to a brand new episode of I Am The Night. It's our 65th and we're looking at Season 2, Episode 6, The Terrible Trio, with a story by Alan Burnett and Michael Reeves, script by Michael Reeves, directed by Frank Power, and starring a treacherous trio of horrible baddies who I cannot stand. With me, as always, is my partner in crime, the magnificent, the marvellous, Adam. Greetings. Hello. It's a pleasure to be back. Not that we've really gone very far. No. We've always had a lovely, delightful evening here in Gotham City and faces... Woo, woo, woo. Yes, for those of you who've been adding us on social media about the uh, the sirens that appear quite often outside <laughs> our home, uh, that is simply because we live in the traffic between two hospitals. As a person who does a lot of sound editing, either for my own video work or our podcast work, it is annoying, but I'm glad that it has some place towards the Gotham aesthetic. And here we are, trudging through the streets of Gotham City with some very familiar bads. Absolutely. And that was a shout out to Brett Scott, who's been saying some lovely things about the show. Thank you, sir. And for downloading every single episode and binging this little show of ours. We salute you, we thank you, and welcome to Gotham City. I left a pause there just in case an ambulance may have passed, but no, we didn't have the dramatic timing. I am sad. It'll happen. Before it, before the show's over, it will, it will happen. happen. But Definitely. in any case, before that happens, we can talk about this episode, The Terrible Trio. And you recognise these characters right away. As soon as the masks and the characters came up, I recognise them for very different reasons, which is why I think this is going to be a very interesting episode of discussion. But go ahead. Well, for me, I remember this episode very, very clearly. And I remember hating these guys from day one. But it's also one of those, you know, we keep talking about synchronicity, how things pop up and then they pop up all the time. I Literally a day or two ago, there was the meme of Bruce thanking his caddy at the golf club and the idiot that is uh, Fox saying, oh, do you talk to all the help like that? Would you say hello to the garbage man? And Bruce saying, well, if I bump into him, yes. And shows the difference between these rich entitled a-holes and the legend that is Bruce Wayne. That's, I remember this episode vividly. It's come up recently. And lo and behold, it's our next episode to review. But you uh, intrigued me. Um, how do you recognise these horrible baddies? Well, I'm going to actually withhold that because I'm going to ask what the origins of this uh, this trio are. Because I remember... This is it. This is, this is their this first is appearance. Because um, did they at all make it translated into the comics whatsoever? Or... I may be wrong, but I'm sure this is their first ever television appearance. Of course, they've been in the comics since the 50s, since the Silver Age, uh, end of the Golden Age, perhaps. So they have been around a long, long time and in comics since. But um, as far as I'm aware, uh, this was their first appearance on TV. Well, my first introduction to the Terrible Trio was very similar in the fact that it was in a Batman animated, but the actual... The, the the archetypes that they embodied, the stuffy, I'm better than you, superior sort of mm. crooks and criminals, that was always a given. I particularly remember them from a very underappreciated but still excellent Batman animated series drawn in the lovely 1960s Dick Branks style uh, Batman the Brave and the Bold. One of my favourite shows as well. Wonderful TV. I distinctly remember these three characters yes, as absolutely. acolytes uh, in a martial arts school. Mm -hmm. alongside Batman and Bronze Tiger. And they all chose animal monikers oh. as part of their masks, which is why Batman chose the mantle of the bat and Bronze Tiger is named Bronze Tiger. So I always assumed that they had that greater connection there. 
and then later on in that episode they went on to tangle with some mystical powers and they became sort of animal-like hybrids of Ooh, those creatures wow. and so did batman and bronze tiger so Batman was able to actually grow wings and use like sonic shrieks to take these guys down. I need to see this episode. I'm s- I'm certain you must have so- seen it back when no, it was back when it back bells at all. Back in the day, but um, it was a it was a very wild one. But then again, that show was quite wild because it had a yes. lot of uh, touches and tropes similar to the 1960s comics. It was trying to mm-hmm. uh, emulate mm-hmm. and show respect to. So, yeah, maybe that was it. But then again, I think that's kind of the charm of these three characters, these three villains. There's a lot of things you can reinterpret and reimagine them. They can be your uh, toffee-nosed, aristocratic a-holes that nobody likes, or they can be uh, people with the same chip on their shoulder but over mystical powers and kung fu fighting. Absolutely. I need to see that because that's a really cool take on the characters and a really cool take on Batman and Bronze Tiger, if I'm honest. Because uh, the episode started with um, the three bad guys coming to take down that old uh, Kung Fu master Mm. to take back a magical item that would eventually go on in the episode to give them these magical uh, animal forms. Um, Batman had to recruit and really like harangue and talk down Bronze Tiger to try and actually like get him involved. Uh, he eventually agrees, and they fight over the control of this magical item, and it's a really satisfying clash between um, Batman and Vulture there up in the skies with cool. um, a 2v1 Bronze Tiger versus Fox and Shock. And I find it quite Oops. interesting in that episode that uh, the Shock character never spoke. I don't know whether that was just because he's like big, muscular, intimidating, or the production team wanted to say that on hiring voice actors. <laughs> But in any case, he was still a huge and intimidating presence, and that was still very much on show here. So I like that there's enough of a simplicity to these characters Mm. that you can interpret them in lots of different ways, but there's still something consistent about them that they still feel like the same characters across these two different takes. That's wonderful. And that was with the beauty of Brave and the Bold as a series, though, wasn't it, really? It hearkened and paid tribute to the wonderfully silly Silver Age, but there was so much in there for an adult fan or for fans who followed the character forever. Because they even drew drew to things like Batman of Zero and R, which then Grant Morrison did in his legendary run on Batman, which brought those silly Silver Age stories and made them canon in the most genius way possible. So... Brilliant. I love that. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. And now I need to track those episodes down. Damn it, Warner Brothers. Take all my money. Or at the very least, take my time to watch excellent animation. Well, yeah, can't argue with that either. But let's talk about their appearance in this show. And, well, let's let's just say what they are. They are young, rich guys with too much time on their hands, bored, and um, quite fascinating characters in the way that they are bordering on irredeemable or at least one of them definitely is one of them definitely is he's the one who sort of ring leads and has the highest ambition and more the one who would inevitably step too far that's the thing i also wanted to note is that that characterization was consistent in the other show as well but we're going to focus on the animated series they followed that they followed that which i think is a lovely tip of respect but as for here yes they are very bored and very entitled rich kids who think that um so a petty theft here and there and a little bit of a sort of battery is a little bit fun. of fun. Yeah. Fun and, I, and I hear that that's like a thing that sometimes they like to depict in certain kinds of shows. I think that must be a thing for the, the trust funds and the Ivy League kids out there, not to generalize about mm. people who I have no respect for. Mm. Um, but in any case, it's still an interesting story that leads to quite a bit of good conflict in this episode. Absolutely. And what I love about it is that you do see that both... 
Vulture and Shark have got some redeemable qualities. They do feel bad about what they do. They do not want to follow Fox's orders all the way. They've got some um, humility and some honour. But Fox, he's just downright nasty to the little people, to the help, to his own girlfriend at one point. And his brutal attack on um, on the dad is is just horrible. Yeah, unacceptable because he thought that he was in a position of power that he could abuse and misuse that power is just unacceptable. But then again, that kind of entitlement and that kind of like superiority complex is kind of a, a given that you'd get for a character like this. So it's great characterization and it makes you love to hate him. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this is my my question and, and my deep dive thought about this episode. Ooh. Because this is this is quite a thing that struck with me the first viewing and it struck me even more with this one the scene in the golf club bruce is just being bruce because that's the man he is but is that the man he is because of what happened to him as a child because of his upbringing by alfred who's to say that had thomas and martha lived and he had gone on to be the rich entitled sport boy he might not have been just like these three um, I, I could tell where your question was going as you were saying it, and I had the entire run of thought in my head, but honestly, this isn't just me putting Batman on a pedestal, as mm. easy as it is to do in our office where every surface is covered with Batman memorabilia. <laughs> mm, I wonder why that is. I wonder why that is indeed. Honestly, as likely as it would be for Batman to grow up to become one of those characters, I honestly don't think he would, simply because... Thomas Wayne was the inheritor of a multi-billion dollar corporation, but mm-hmm. still chose to become a doctor. And we know full well that Martha Good Wayne point. And we know full well that Martha Wayne was a very act very active member in the Women's Institute back in the mm-hmm. back in the earlier issues and would have still been a philanthropist some way or other. So growing her up around that kind of influence would have been very key towards Bruce Wayne but still being a pillar of the community. Probably not as strong as he is now because he doesn't have that impetus of going off on his crusade mm. against crime and to pursue justice but still he would be a good guy not the good guy we know him but still a good positive force yeah i, I think i have to agree with you there because yeah like you said martha kane then wayne when, when married was um someone who is a, a beacon to the entire community orphanages hospitals free clinics and obviously hence the friendship with leslie Tompkins. and like you said uh, Thomas Wayne was a very, very rich man, but he gave back and he decided not to just rest on his laurels and run the company. He left that to Lucius Fox and the rest of the board. He went and became a surgeon to help save lives. So thanks. That's made me feel a little bit better. Because, but, you know, it's it's so weird to think that here, but the for the grace of God go I, that Bruce possibly could have gone that way but no i like your thinking that that's really really nice well i it, it's definitely a possibility and there's an element to him where he could he could have been a little bit more dubious and a little bit more insidious mm. compared to how he is now but i do still believe that yes he would be some force for good probably not as strong as yeah. he is now clearly but but then again who's to say he couldn't be i remember now that i think about it that story where uh, Bruce Wayne was travelled was sent through time because the events of the death of Martha and Thomas Wayne happened mm-hmm. every few years, and there was a time uh, a different timeline where a young Bruce Wayne saw Batman swoop in and save his parents, and was mm-hmm. inspired to do that. So maybe yes, maybe with 
the judgment of his parents, something he still does in secret, he could still be that force for good somewhere else. Yep, To Kill a Legend, one of my all-time favourite Batman stories where the Phantom Stranger helps Bruce travel through time and he saves the Waynes. But this young Bruce Wayne, who doesn't lose his parents, still becomes Batman because he saw a brave, noble warrior save his parents. And he thought, well, hey, I can be that too. Well said. Beautifully remembered. I didn't even know I've made you read that thing. How terrible a father am I to thrust these Batman stories upon you? Yes, I think most kids are given stuff like <laughs> stuff that you study in literature class. Your, your, your Bronte sisters, your Mary Shelley's. Your... Nothing wrong with that. Although that's all great literature. But, mm. no, but no, I was raised on Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman and, and classic Batman. But still. I'm that's... sorry. No, it's fine. There's, I was reading. I yeah. know plenty of kids that don't. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I never gave you any rubbish. It was all good stuff. It was, in fact, all good stuff. And speaking of good stuff, I, I have to tip my hat to the writing in this episode. Alan Burnett is still doing Batman the Animated Series today. He's one of the lead writers on the new uh, Batman the Adventures Continue Season 2 comic series. And the way he writes Bruce and Batman and Dick Grayson and Robbie in this, in this episode is terrific. Like... Dollar for dollar, he's the most boring man in the world, says yeah. Fox to about uh, about Bruce. But then Bruce says, well, I, I, I do have a nightlife. And it, the delivery, mm. the writing, Kevin Conroy, everything about that line is just fantastic. Well, that thing that's just, again, is just a reiteration of how strong the Bruce Wayne persona yeah. is. Nobody has any clue. He just tries his best to be completely mild-mannered, completely unassuming, and it works. Mm. He has all of the yuppies around him just very easily persuaded and believing so yeah it's a really and it's a combination of that those kinds of lines delivered with that kind of dry wit and that belief behind it that it would be impossible to know otherwise absolutely and again some fantastic detective work with bruce and dick and finally even though we both agree we cannot stand (laughs) the new opening titles at least this adventures of batman and robin episode did have Robin for all of two minutes before he's sidelined to do a little bit of detective work and attempt to fly the Batwing with a broken arm, quoting himself. But he does have a vintage Grayson moment where they shoot his line and he shoots another grapnel gun and loops the loop around a gigantic gatepost, lands on his feet like a true flying Grayson would. A true flying Grayson does in fact fly and knows how to stick the landing, which I yes. think is probably the most important part of acrobatics like that. Mm-hmm. It, you can make yourself spin and twirl pretty easily. I've seen little kids doing it on a trampoline, but then they just land, twist, ow. Yeah. No, knowing how to land, stick a landing like that is the real secret to high flying like that. Uh, we've watched a lot of um, WWE wrestling in our time yes. and some of those guys can do wonderful things in the air, but then they're not seen for months on end when they don't stick the landing. Absolutely. No, this was definitely more of a park stroke uh, Neville moment than a uh, landing and breaking your neck moment. So th- that I can definitely live with. But yeah, some great Batman and Robin moments, I think. Truly, because we get to see them as a team together in the adventures of Batman and Robin. They get to bounce off each other. Uh, I find it still quite interesting that... Um, even after the story of Robin's Reckoning, we still see Robin charging out, yep. gung-ho, very 
sort of reckless Robin, I think was what I put in my notes, nice and alliterative. I like that. I'm glad you do. But still, he definitely charged in, and that's what probably benched him for the rest of the episode. But then again, it's good to show that, that kind of, there's that kind of realism, that's that kind of danger yeah. for characters this well-seasoned and this well-trained. There's the trouble that, sure, maybe they can still screw up and they have to learn from those mistakes. Well said. Plus the fact that, again, through beautiful nuances and beautiful voice acting, you can feel the love, concern and camaraderie that the family bond between Batman and Robin and Stroke, Bruce Wayne, Dick Grayson in this episode. It's it's really well done. It is well done. There's a real sense that there's a long-standing history and respect and care and love and attention here because... Even though he was injured, he was still involved in the mission of the detective work to find out that it was that signet ring being asked to come along to help sting the guys in their little mountain lodge. It was very satisfying to see them all still together. A noted absence of Alfred, but still we got a good Bat family dynamic in another way. Yeah, because I did feel Alfred's presence lacking in this episode, but that dynamic between Bruce and Dick more than made up for it in my eyes. It was really good. Really good indeed. Oh, that's down to uh, Lauren Lester's brilliant Dick Grayson and uh, Kevin Conroy's brilliant just being born and, and being on this earth since he actually stepped foot in front of a mic. Yeah, I mean, like he's done so much other work since then, but still, when you're given and you're def- uh, defining a character like this, it's great enough as it is because we get all the kinds of dynamics of him being the yuppie and sort of vacant and airheaded in this episode alongside. Batman having no interest in any of the bribes towards the end of the episode into the caring and the guardian Mm. protector over Robin as he rushes recklessly into battle. But are you as sad as I am? I really do get a thrill of seeing Bruce Wayne in shirt and trousers or pants, as as our dear American friends may say, standing in the Batcave talking to Dick Grayson but in full Batman voice. Well, yeah, I think that's the whole point. That's his truest form. He's there sort of dressed down and simple, but still talking with Batman's voice because the Batman's voice carries that weight, carries the intention to be able to go there and do justice whatever needs to be done. It's also quite nice for me, at least, because I know that the costume designers for this character just do try to keep them visually consistent. So it's quite nice to see him outside of the the deep brown uh, suit for one. <laughs> Your favourite suit in the whole world. I mean, I love it. It's just so... Di- you know what? You know why I love it? It's the same shade as some office hallways. Ah, well, they say Topi is soothing. They say Topi is very soothing, but that's the whole point. It's meant to be soothing, but forgettable, which mm-hmm. is exactly what he wants Bruce Wayne to look like. Which is like the complete opposite of, of our dear friend, the other Bruce, Mr. Banner and his purple suits well yeah because purple <laughs> is a nice color contrast to the bright green of the hulk and Indeed. apparently you know only the booty shorts area is indestructible everything else gets ripped that's right of course because we don't want giant green stuff no, swinging everywhere definitely not absolutely <laughs> oh dear maybe that's why he was called robert in the animated series in the action series with luther regner <laughs> possibly Oh dear. Right. Um, Moving swiftly along. But sticking to the subject of great voice talents, as always, hey, this is Batman the Animated Series. Hey, they cast amazing talents. Case in point, Peter Scolari, who plays um, the shark. No, is he the shark? I've lost, mixed up my notes. Yes, Peter Scolari plays shark. Um, 
He started off in a series called Boys and Buddies with a then unknown um, young actor who may be recognised to some of you now, name of uh, Tom Hanks. Oh, he sounds familiar. Absolutely. He was Wayne Zielinski in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids TV show, taking over from Rick Moranis. Sure. Yes, but most of us, especially Bat fans, will know him as the horrible, evil Commissioner Loeb in the Batman Year One animated uh, movie. Oh, very nice. Nice to see him come back as someone sinister again. Absolutely. David Jolliffe, who played the Vulture. (sighs) Again, this is one of those guys who, you name an animated series, he's been in it. Amazing. Um, From things as wonderful as Paranorman to Scooby-Doo and one of my all-time favourites, various voices throughout the whole run of Battle of the Planets. I'm going to pretend I've heard of that one. I truly haven't. It's wonderful. It's one of those um, early animes where it was clearly halfway between Star Wars and the comic book shows. They all dressed like bird-type heroes with helmets and four evil villains, but in space. Early 80s? Uh, Yes. Okay, that makes a lot more sense now. (laughs) It's classic. I still love it dearly. Then, of course, we get um, the the daddy who gets attacked by the horrible, treacherous trio, um, played by an absolute legend, Hector Elizondo, throughout Chicago Hope, award-winning actor. um, But you would probably know him more from um, his roles in Runaway Bride, Beverly Hills Cop 3, He's the hotel manager of the Regent Beverly Wilshire in Pretty Woman, one of Mum's favourite movies of all time. And of course, the butler and um, Julie Andrews' uh, better half in The Princess Diaries. No way. Yes. When you mentioned the hotel manager, I was just like, I know that actor. Yeah. Oh yeah, that is, that is a blossom past. Absolute legend. A TV stage and uh, movie legend throughout the world. But um, the one that really surprised me is the evil Fox. Um, brilliant actor, Bill Moomy. And for comics fans and sci-fi heads, this man is truly, truly a legend. He was Lenier in every single season of Babylon 5. He was the original Will Robinson from the 60s Lost in Space Danger, Will Robinson. TV show. Yes, he, that little boy is the horrible fox in this show. But for comics fans, um, you wouldn't know this, but it, it brought back so many memories. He was a founder member of the great band Seduction of the Innocent, alongside legendary actor who is no longer with us, Miguel Ferrer, who was a villain in um, the original Robocop movie, and comics supremo Steve Loyaloa, and Max Allen Collins, one of the best Batman writers of the 80s. So again, for comics fans, a true legend. And how Batman the Animated Series manages to do this every single episode to get one person of this calibre, but to get three or four is just astounding. I suppose that this was an indicator of how much faith Warner Brothers had in this program at all. Mm. To be able to get this kind of quality of uh, performances every single week is just that they had a lot of faith and they knew they were hitting gold, so they wanted to try and get as strong a performance every single week as possible. And they do it. They really do. They really do. To get such seasoned, real actors behind each part just adds a level of gravitas and importance and scope to this show that you wouldn't expect it to have. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, for me, great fun episode. One I remember vividly, and I still hate these guys with a passion. I just don't really respect any people from that level of society anyway. I don't think that that kind of wealth should be had by anyone. So those who Mm -hmm. deliberately misuse it and endanger others just for the sake of acquiring more and having a thrill on the way is uh, reprehensible at the very least. So. 
it's quite satisfying to see the justice come through even though he wasn't expecting it and it really does he thought he'd win he thought he'd get away with it he thought he could buy himself out of any trouble but he ends up in a roach infested prison cell with a guy named Bubba who would literally make his life a living hell for the rest of his remaining years and well deserved say I indeed poor thing not really care <laughs> so we've reached that moment as we do in every episode where we look back and think what were our Main standout moments, good, bad, or ugly from this episode? As delightful as this episode was, and as memorable as these unlovable rogues are, and I will, and I do have to admit that this episode is a lot of fun, fondness, and a lot of great swashbuckle that I can't fault. I have to actually fault it. I have to, because I have a thing called shutter speed vision where I can see quick flashing images quite quickly, which is making it very helpful for me to spot continuity errors oh no really unfortunately yes and it really bothers me because that stuff like that always bothers me and i'm very good at spotting them and that's the only thing i can really fault or like uh emphasize about the episode the big chase scene right in the middle where fox just says dump the money we'll use the people as cover mm. great moment great bit of ingenuity and it was especially great where in the back seat we see vulture picking up the bags and opening up through the sunroof but then when they pass by that movie theater we see shock throwing the money oh no oh that's bad i'll just say that hey when it cut away to batman for a moment uh, one bag was empty so the cohort that wasn't throwing open another bag and he started throwing the money but hey we didn't see it so oh yeah that that's quite cringeworthy um yes okay I can see that. Yeah. I mean, like, I cannot fault this episode otherwise. It is a yeah. great bit of family fun action, great bit of Batman being the determined hero that we know him to be. But it, I, I do a lot of video and audio editing, and, yeah. that's, and that stuff would never fly yeah. if it was with me. So it, it, it upset. It makes me a little sad, but it's not bad enough for me to just write off the entire episode. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, for me, again, it's the takes on high society and how different people um, respect the money or respect the role they've brought into and uh, the way they act around others and in life. And Bruce Wayne proves himself to be a hero in and out of costume. So that, for me, is always a great takeaway from any Batman story. It's great that we get to see Bruce doing heroics of all kinds and to all levels to all kinds of people consistently without any breaks because that's what true heroism looks like to me at least fantastic well said well that's it then season two episode six the terrible trio another great um episode to put into the memory banks and uh, let's hope that this carries on because so far loving this series and not one single episode to let us down no, I can certainly say that. Uh, we can look past the continuity. We can look past the inconsistent and strange titles for the sake of good family entertainment and great Batman every single week. Oh, family entertainment. Well said. This is definitely one we could happily put on for the kids, definitely. Not like last week's. That was terrifying. Ooh, that one was scary. Oof. Right, so we've talked about Batman the Animated Series, so let's talk about Adam Ray and where we can read their work and watch their video content. For Batman-flavoured things, I review multiple titles a month over on Dark Knight News. Catwoman and Suicide Squad are excellent spots Ooh, right yeah. now. Uh, for my own one true love, PC and tabletop gaming, look to our baby, fantasticuniverses.com, where I uh, weigh in my opinions across PC gaming's latest titles and the current state of the many, many, many card games I play. For your listening pleasure, you can turn to the Fantastic Universes podcast where me and a special guest talk about our favourites in gaming, PC, tabletop, console, and everything in between. 
As for other written works, read my hot takes on Legends of Runeterra, the excellent League of Legends card game mm. over on Runeterra CCG. To level up your TTRPG experience, read my posts on the Apotheosis Studios blog. And for your viewing pleasure, look to the hostile atmosphere on YouTube for my PC Let's Plays, twitch.tv forward slash isittinkra, three days a week for card game goodness, and No Ordinary Heroes on YouTube for me, Dungeon Mastering, tabletop RPGs for my nearest and dearest. I make a lot of content, but I love it all. Fantastic. And do check that stuff out. It is cool. This show, I Am The Knight, alongside Harley Quinn, the Mad Love podcast, the Spinner Rack, and the original DC Comics News podcast are all part of the DC Comics News Podcast Network, which you can catch on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google Play. You can catch DC Comics News and Fantastic Universes and uh, Dark Knight News across the entire internet, but the DC Comics News and Dark Knight News websites can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and the Tube of You. As for myself, please chat to me on Twitter at lstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. For my written work, just search Steve J. Ray or Fantastic Universes in your search engine of choice to read all my news, reviews, features, and interviews across four wonderful websites, including... Of course, DC Comics News, Dark Knight News, Fantastic Universes, and CBR. But until you do, there's something you really need to know. Adam Ray is the knight. Together, we are the knight. And this has been the I Am The Knight podcast. Thank you for listening. And until next time, read more comics. And please watch more Batman. Batman.